And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Right? Um, and so if you're, if you're being formed in, in Christianity and discipleship, uh, along the way you'll probably hear this notion of the Great Commission. This is often people refer to in the Great Commission, where Jesus is sending the disciples into the world to spread his message of life, death, and resurrection. And uh, when he gives the Great Commission, we, we often hone in on uh, various things, maybe baptizing, maybe the go, uh, maybe the teaching, maybe the behold, I am with you always. Uh, I don't hear enough about the all nations piece. Um, and, and for uh, 11, dis- 11 disciples who were Jewish men that probably had not had a single relationship with a non-Jewish person, for Jesus to say, make disciples of all nations, it would have landed different. Uh, it, would, it would have landed actually very significantly uh, because Jesus is giving them a vision of what he wants to see happen. And at this point in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's predominantly written to Jewish people. Uh, and at this point, the disciples had very little interaction with non-Jewish people. And any interaction they did have with non-Jewish people, Jesus kind of led the discussion and the conversation and the miracle. And now he's saying, you saw what I did, you saw what I taught, now go do likewise with all these people and to observe all that I have commanded you. Uh, and it, it would make sense, he would say things like, behold, I'm with you always at the end of the age. Because I imagine on some level, they felt a level of intimidation. Now, how, how do I talk to other people groups when I have no experience with talking to other people groups? They, they, didn't get a, they didn't get a seminar, they didn't get a training, but that was the mission. And that word there in Greek, all nations, is pantata ethnos, mm-hmm. so it's all ethnic groups. That's what we want to see happen. <clears throat> um, and so when, when, I, when I think of the word multi-ethnic, I mean, probably the most formal would be like pan-ethnic, or pan-ethnic ministry. Uh, but we say multi-ethnic, because uh, you know, all, all nations are actually represented in the city, but and I believe that multi-ethnic ministry just, should be just a reflection of the ethnic realities of the community that you're in, right? Uh, so I, I don't think that uh, all multi-ethnic ministry need to kind of be split four ways, or five ways, three ways, and 30% of it. It needs to be an accurate reflection of the community in which it's in. Um, and that most communities at this point, 2022, have multiple ethnicities. Um, and so uh, I appreciate listening. I mean, man, I, I could go on a lot of threads here. But this the definition of ethnicity is a category for a group of people that has descendants from a shared place, so, uh, so people groups. so many things I can say about that. But yeah, so uh, uh, people from a, a certain people group, we, we want to see that represented. Now, the reason why I'm um, sorting in my head is because when you start talking about ethnicity, it often quickly turns into race. Uh, and, and actually, race and ethnicity are not one-to-one the same thing. But in, in, in our country, those two are actually conflated. Uh, whether for better or for worse, right or wrong, pull them apart if you want it, it, you know, we can have that conversation. But the reality is those two are often uh, conflated, and they've been conflated intentionally. Uh, that, that race is a social construct that was created for a hierarchy to, to hold power. Uh, and so that, that reality did not just affect non-white people, it affected white people as well. And so uh, th- there's this sense of like, how do I shed my ethnicity? And so you, you don't see the Polish realities, you don't see the Irish realities, you don't see the Italian realities, because there was a sense of like, how do I gain the most power and it was around skin color and kind of this, this continuum of that. And that is still the reality. The, the census uh, 
that comes out. It only has two ethnicities, Hispanic and non-Hispanic. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two ethnicities according to the census, but there's five races. Um, and we can be prickly about that, we can be angry about that, but that is what it is. Uh, and, and how do we navigate uh, ministry in a racialized society that, well, frankly, is going to continue to be racialized? <clears throat> um, so ethnicity. So I, I like this from Mark DeMoss, Anya Fanel Akubwe. She's, they say, Jesus uh, envisioned the multi-ethnic church for the sake of the gospel on the night before he died. So one of the last things he says, like, Father, I pray that they be one just as we are one. That was one of the last things he prayed uh, before the crucifixion happened. Luke described the multi-ethnic church in action at Antioch as a model for church congregations to follow. The missionary journeys came out of Antioch. And Antioch was, was multi-ethnic. Uh, and that, that multi-ethnic ministry was the, was the norm for churches in the first century. Uh, Paul prescribed the multi-ethnic church in order to advance a credible witness of God's love for all people. Uh, so there's, there's just a, a, an intentionality, an awareness. There, there is no kind of color blindness going on uh, in the New Testament, really in all of Scripture. Uh, and so the, the level of intentionality in Scripture should be our same level of intentionality uh, as well. So this is what the census says. So there's uh, Pew Research says that by 2060, white Americans will only make up approximately 43% of the U.S. population. So that's the notion of majority culture, uh, uh, dominant culture, subdominant culture, all this stuff. But we're, we're becoming increasingly diverse. Uh, I think at this point, we're kind of at a tipping point. But in like 1960, the country was 85% white. Uh, it's definitely not that now. Um, and according to the census, in Durham County, uh, Durham County is 43% white, 36.9% black, uh, Hispanic or Latino, 13%, Asian, 5.5%, and others, two or more races, indigenous is 2.5%. So that's kind of the racial demographics, ethnic dem demographics, again, you can get all quickly about it if you want to. Uh, but that's kind of where, where we are in terms of Durham County. So when we talk about being a, a church that is reflective of our community, uh, like this, this is something that's on our radar. I don't think it's appropriate to say our goal is to be these numbers. Uh, because one, that's arrogant to just assume that if we just calibrate it right, uh, we're going to get all the right numbers. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, that in just a moment. But uh, we, we do want to be a church that is, is ministering to the people of Durham. Um, and the people of Durham, the, the people that come to our church, are <laughs> people from Durham. And so if, if we're an 85% roughly white church, uh, that, that says something about who we are, who are, we are reaching and who we are communicating to that we are welcoming, right? Uh, so we need to be uh, crafting and cl more, more clear, being sanctified on what we mean when we're welcoming people. All right, so that's a little bit about multi-ethnic. So culture. All right, so long-form, multi-ethnic, cross-cultural ministry. Uh, so culture. How do you define culture? Uh, I, I, I've heard a lot of definitions, uh, and I don't know. All of them are really good or just don't cap capture quite well, but I pulled this from a book called Cultural Intelligence, where it's this and many more uh, definitions. I like this, this last one here. It says, culture is a system of shared concepts, beliefs, and values, uh, the framework from which we interpret and make sense of life in the world around us. Right. So this could be clothes, accents, priorities, uh, family concepts, communication styles, uh, notions on what modesty is, what is leadership, uh, what does it mean to communicate respect, child rearing, uh, understandings of competition versus cooperation, like all of that has a cultural reality and more. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I'm trying not to do a fire hose here. But uh, when, when we think about culture, there are things that are observable and there are things that are unobservable uh, or things that are material or things that are immaterial. Uh, and, and a lot of times when people are thinking about what, what ministry is, they're thinking about observable material things. Uh, and they pursue those observable material things and then wonder why their church is not more diverse and they don't realize that there are, there are things that are unobservable and immaterial uh, that, that actually challenge and make it hard to kind of coexist together, which is not unique. Right? That's why we have a New Testament, because there, there was constant friction between Gentiles and Jews. There were things going on in terms of observable and unobservable expectations, baggage past that were coming together, and it was like really, really hard. Do we eat this pork or not? And it was a whole thing that Paul had to write about, right? And so being aware of those, those realities there, you're, you, everyone has a cultural perspective. The fact that we are American, uh, the fact of, of our education, private school versus public school versus homeschool, single versus married, married versus, versus parenting, all those things factor into our culture in terms of our priorities, our concepts, our values, and beliefs, right? And so in a moment here, when we do this activity, uh, I'm going to put some... Uh, some images on the table and, and ask you to just kind of discuss as a table uh, how these, these images are analogies of culture, both in their opportunities and their challenges, right? So when I talk about observable versus unobservable, right? The iceberg. Uh, that what's observable is the 10% that's above the water. Uh, but what's unobservable and immaterial are things that are below the surface that takes a lot of time to get into and actually, and again, we're going to talk about this in a moment, can actually get to in just a hour and 15-minute church service. Okay? They actually have to have relationships to get the unobservable aspects of culture um, and crossing into them. All right? So cross-cultural. So before I dig, dig into it, let me pause. See, is, is, am I making sense? Any questions thus far? Again, I'm skipping the rocks across the water that we can spend hours talking about this, but... I want to get a little bit of handlebars here on, on, these, on these terms. And what we mean when we say that. And we'll have some time for, for discussion at the end. All right, so cross-cultural. Uh, Randy Neighbor. So, uh, so I said I was in the seminary when I was convicted about cross-cultural multi-ethnic ministry and uh, Lord willing, I want to be a learner in this. So after I graduated from seminary, I went down to Chattanooga, Tennessee for a few years and was involved in a church there called New City Fellowship. And New City Fellowship is a multi-ethnic cross-cultural church. There's just several leaders there that have been doing this for decades, uh, just decades of fighting through this, uh, you know, in the 70s. Also. And so uh, you know, Carl Ellis, names like Carl Ellis, Brian Ficker, uh, Kelly Capick, and Randy Neighbors, uh, so on and so forth, Karen Ellis, these are all folks that are at this church and have just shaped me in incredible ways and continue to do so. By, by their ministry. So Randy Neighbors, who was the founding pastor, not the current pastor, but the founding pastor of New City Fellowship, wrote a book called Insufficient. It's talking about ministry competencies and, and some of those kind of cross-cultural things. And he says this, uh, crossing cultures is a process of becoming. It is an intentional, purposeful, and dedicated pursuit of listening to, learning from, engaging with, and feeling the pain, aspirations, hopes, and dreams of another culture. Right, so I think all those words actually really matter. Intentional, purposeful, and dedicated in its pursuit. Listening to, learning from, engaging with, and feeling the, feeling the pains. Right? 
And so we, we don't, the reason why I tend away from the term multicultural uh, is because multicultural doesn't speak to intention. Uh, you know, the food court at the mall is multicultural. Um, but none of those restaurants are actually crossing into each other's domain, right? Uh, and again, I'm not saying when people say multicultural that they're meaning that. I say I think you know words matter. So I, I choose uh, cross-cultural because not only are we acknowledging culture, but we're taking the intentional step towards another culture, uh, both in listening and engaging with and loving, right? So cross-cultural uh, is what matters uh, to me. And, and what Randy is talking about here. He's referring from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 through 23. Can somebody read that? 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 through 23. I know it's long and maybe faded. Can somebody read that? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. The Jews that became a Jew in order to win Jews. Those under the law became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, So just a quick check in. What, uh, what, in this list, name some, some demographics that Paul is taking note of. And call it out. What do you see? Jews. Jews. Yeah. I'm not trying to trick you, I promise. <laughs> Jews. What else do you see? Those under the law. Those under the law. The Who else? The weak. Who's up? So there's one more there. It was outside the law. It was outside the law. So there's a lot that could be said here uh, about this passage, uh, but I feel like this is a really good example of the call towards cross-cultural mission. Uh, And there's a few things here that I think are really important if we're talking about pursuing cross-cultural. One, uh, Paul, uh, he was clear about his own culture so that he understood what it meant to cross into another's culture. Right? Uh, so he's, he's, not, he's not appropriating when he's going into these different demographics. Uh, he's clear about who he is because he has thought about his culture, defined his culture, and realized where there are gaps between his culture and the culture of those he's trying to minister to. And so on some level, he's given some thought to his own culture, and that's actually really important in cross-cultural ministry. Another thing to observe is, uh, he, it's always interesting to me that he, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Uh, it's like, Paul, you Jewish. What, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about? I became as a Jew. You are a Jew. You became something you already are. What are you talking about? Uh, but Paul there is just, he's making a distinction between ethnicity and culture. It's like he, he is ethnically Jewish, but he's not actually culturally Jewish. His culture is a gospel culture. And so he has it in his mind, I'm going to be critiquing my own ethnic culture. Uh, that, that I don't think my own culture is pure. And I need to help other cultures understand mine. Right? So he's not trying to colonize. Right? Uh, but he realized the culture that he comes from needs the gospel. Right? Um, other thing, <clears throat> lots of things to, to, to note here. Uh, the, the idea of contextualization. Uh, so... So people under the law, uh, which is interesting, because people under the law would be, be Jewish people. 
Um, but again, there, there's something about a value system that he's acknowledging there. Um, and, and all of this, and last thing I'll acknowledge before we move on, there's a lot of things that could be said here. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Like, why are we trying to be cross-cultural? No matter where we are on, on, the, on that journey, no matter how, you know, failures and, and successes, why are we doing that? We're doing it for the sake of the gospel. That the gospel is actually propelling us to do this. Uh, and not propelling us to rescue people in other cultures, but to share in the blessing of the gospel with other people. I want to share in this with all people. Uh, the, the same level of intentionality that the gospel has, I want that same level of intentionality. And Acts says that they turned the world upside down. They didn't just stay in their cultural community. Right? So the why there is really important. I'm not going to get all into the why because Fabian's going to dig into that. But there's a little bit of why here. Like what, what is propelling us in this gospel ministry uh, in this way, contextualizing, thinking through cultural realities? It's, it's the, the gospel is actually calling us to that. 